0: Hey friends, how's everybody doing? That was a little better. The front row still whips you all actually, so I need you to step up your game. How's everybody doing? That's better. I need, I need better because we're going to talk about some heavy things, so I need a little crowd participation. Um, uh, hey, if you haven't already, open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 1, Ecclesiastes 1 where we're going to be camping out, just like you did in your homework this week. Um, Life is cyclical, isn't it? It's a cycle. Um, It's funny, I was just listening to a song this week that was on, um, it was playing, and I was like, oh, I see where he got this. It's called Circles. And and you listen to the words, I'm like, that guy's been reading Ecclesiastes. (laughs) His words go like this. You might not believe it, but everybody's got a story to tell of circles. Around and round they go. Ain't nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes, the words of Solomon, right? Well, we're gonna look at at what our buddy Solomon had to say about the cycles, the circles of life in chapter one. Then we're gonna jump to the end of the book. Who, Who? I need a show of hands. Who are those crazy people who read books and like to read the end to you know what happens first? You people, you people are crazy. You're cute though, but it's weird. But we're going to do that today. So for you, congratulations. We're going to read the end of the book. We're going to look at chapter twelve too. Um, cycles, circles, things that happen over and over. Speaking of cycles, I have an announcement to make. I need prayer. Can you please pray for me? Um, I think we might get another puppy. I don't know. (laughs) I know. Oh, there's. It's a, such a mixed review. Some people are like, "Oh, gasp!" You know. Yes, you should. You should pray hard for me. I'm a, I'm a maniac. I don't know. We're thinking about it. It's 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 a strong possibility. But you know what's crazy is exactly five years ago, when we did this study the first time. You know what I had in my house? Oh, puppy. This is crazy talk. I can't believe I'm falling into this trap again. But see, you know what? It's a cycle. It's a circle. Because here's what's happening as I'm talking to the person who's had the breeder and she's sending me the pictures. You know how this goes. And you're like, oh, let me pray about it, slash, look at the picture. I'm like, dude, I'm getting a puppy. This is the cutest thing I've ever seen. But like, I'm remembering things, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I'm like, oh, oh oh, I'm going to stop sleeping again. <laughs> oh, they go to the bathroom all the time. Oh, they have sharp teeth and no diaper. Oh, all the things, right? But it's the same thing. Five years ago, that same that puppy I had, I'm about to re-enter that same cycle of life. I'm crazy. Again, pray for me, guys. This is nuts. But it's true, isn't it? It's like there's, there's yeah, there's different nuances and there's different awesome, amazing parts of life and different Difficult circumstances that are heavy and hard. And everyone is just slightly a little different. But really, 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 like Solomon talks us through, at the end of the day, it's all the same cycles happening over and over, right? Cycles. It's, it's, it's interesting because when, when, when you read the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, and I'm really glad that you're here because seriously, guys, don't shut the book on chapter one because if you do, that's a sad ending, because what we can do is like if we, if we believe and we listen to what he says in chapter one and we understand that this great cycle of life over which we have no control, amen, what's the purpose at all? And that's kind of where he takes us. And then in chapter 12, he shares the purpose. So today what we're gonna do, we're gonna break it into four parts and we're gonna look at chapter one and we're gonna talk about Solomon's point in verses four through seven that nothing changes. We're gonna look at his point in eight through 11, that nothing is new. We're gonna look at his point in 12 through 18 that nothing is understood. All sounds really great so far, right? You're like, glad I came. But then in chapter 12, we are gonna look at the hope. We're gonna look at finding hope in verses eight through 14. So Ecclesiastes chapter one, I'm gonna pray just to kind of get us in the right frame and then we're gonna launch right into chapter one, okay? So will you pray with me? Father, um, we ask you today to make sense of these difficult words. Remind us that it is okay to be troubled, you know, by your word. It's okay to struggle with it. And so, God, I just ask that um, through the trouble, through the struggle, that we see you, that we see you as the hope. And for anybody in this room who doesn't know you and have a personal relationship with you, I pray that this is the day that that starts. This is the day that, that, that she realizes that there's something more than chapter one And Lord, um, it's your son. And so thank you for him. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Chapter one, verses, um, well, really, let's start with verses two and three, because I mentioned before, life is part of this great cycle of which we have no control. That's Chris' version of what Solomon says in verses two and three of chapter one. So follow along with me if you have your Bible. In verse two, he starts out with the phrase that we're gonna hear like almost 40 times. You've already heard it a whole bunch of times, right? This week, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And so what does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? See, that's him asking the question. Okay, if this is the truth, then why does this matter? What's the purpose, you know? Well, then he goes on into verse four through seven. And here's what I want you to notice. He's gonna tell us this. Nothing changes. He's he's gonna tell us this by kinda being a scientist, okay? So watch what he does. He's gonna speak in terms of science. And so follow along with me. I'm just gonna kinda roll through the verses. I'm gonna stop and pause and say some stuff in between, okay? But verse four, he starts by talking about the earth. He says this, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. You see, nature is permanent. What God has created is permanent. Man is transient. We are pilgrims, right? We are moving through life. There's a beginning and an end to our lives. But what Solomon's making a point here is like, but but God created this earth and it's going to remain even when you're not here. The second part of nature that he points out is in verse 5. He talks about the sun. So verse 5, he says, the sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises He paints this visual picture. Isn't it cool how this really wise guy, that sounded weird, wise guy. I guess he is a wise guy. This really wise man was also an incredible storyteller. He's painting a visual picture that every single person who has sight can relate to, right? The rising of the sun and the setting of the sun one day is just like the next. The sun goes down one day, the sun comes up the next day. Verse 6, he goes on, and he talks about the wind. The wind blows to the south and goes all around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. He goes from the visible, the sun, to the invisible, the wind. Right? He, he shows us that there's this constant movement, this constant motion, and in his words, he's already painting the picture of this life cycle that he's talking about, that everything just goes round and round and round. I find it interesting, you know, in John chapter three, in verse eight, Jesus, when Jesus has skin on and he's on earth and he has his earthly ministry, he talks to this guy named Nicodemus, and he uses the wind as an example. He says this, he said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or really where it goes. And he said, so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. He compares the Holy Spirit, when you receive Jesus as your savior, what you have living in you, as your compass, as your true north, like the wind. And so Solomon goes on, he's talked about the earth, the sun and the wind, and Solomon the scientist. He continues in verse seven and he says, All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the stream flows, there they flow again. Now, if you're like me, like the first run at reading this, I'm like, this is so poetic and everything that I'm, it's like over my head. (laughs) That's me. It's hard for me. I'm like a, I'm black and white. Like, tell me how it is, you know? But what Solomon is doing is he's appealing to our senses, to what we know and what we experience, he talks about the sea. There's this water cycle. You know, water sustains life, right? And any time, this is interesting fact that you need to know. At any given time, scientists have determined that 97% of water lives in the ocean. At any given time. It doesn't matter what is happening with the weather systems. 97% of the water is in the ocean, but see, there's also water in the atmosphere and it's constantly cycling, but all ending up back in the ocean, in the sea, as Solomon says. Same thing, same cycle. Nature never changes. But see, here's the thing. Solomon at this point, how many times do you see him mentioned at this point when we're through verse seven? How many times has he mentioned God? He's mentioned God zero. Do you see that? And so his point is, he's leaving God out of this equation, and he's making the point, if you leave God out, then the world becomes a closed system, uniform, predictable, unchanging, right? If you leave God out of the equation, it's the same. There's nothing new, nothing changes, no hope. And so Solomon paints the picture. It's very, very purposeful. So far, he's never mentioned God once, but here's what I want you to know. This is like a side note. You know, God does break into nature. We have evidence of it all over the Bible. You may have evidence of it in your life. We all experience God in different ways. I'm gonna give you a couple concrete evidences of where God has said, you know what? I'm gonna break the cycle just for a hot minute to make my point, point." and here's where he does it. Joshua, Joshua 10, verses six through 14, you know what happened? God made the sun stand still in the sky. In Exodus 14 and Joshua 3, 5, God holds back the seas so his people can make their way through, right? Holding back nature. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, he calms the winds and the waves for the disciple. And so God is always, always in it. Don't be discouraged by what Solomon is saying because, see, we don't close the book here. Well, nothing changes, verses four through seven. That's the first part. Again, don't shut the book. But then he goes into something else. Nothing is new, verses eight through 11. Verse eight, he says this. He says, all things are full of weariness and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. I read that like five times in like five different translations. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And this is what I came up with. Here's here's my translation, ready? Everything feels tired and boring and I, I long for more, better, different. I want more, better, different. And I'm just being honest. You may not be honest. You may not be honest about that, but let's, be, let's think about the puppy. Let's go there for a second. I remember when we had that first puppy, we had two older dogs at the time and I'll never forget this, that I would buy her like all these cute little toys because she's so cute and she'd carry around the toy until until she looked over at Sam our old lab. And she'd be like, wait, hold up. I want that toy. I want what he has. Anybody have toddlers? Anybody ever seen a toddler? Anybody ever seen a child? How about your neighbor? (laughs) How about yourself? We all do it, don't we? We get what we get. And then we look across the yard or the living room or whatever. And we say, you know what? I want more. I want better. I want different. And that's what Solomon is reminding us here that this is exactly what he's saying, that everything is cyclical, but we always want more, better, different. He, in this little portion, when he's talking about nothing is new, I want you to see this. Like He's talking about history. He's becoming an historian here. He's saying, this is what historically happens, okay? So watch how he shifts from science over to history. Okay, so he starts with that. Everything's tired boring. In verses nine through 10, he goes with this. He says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. In verse 10, is there a thing of which it is said? See, this is new. It, is already, it has been already in the ages before us. That is crazy. When you read that, you're like, wait a minute. No, I have new stuff all the time. I don't know if you read in your homework, when I was writing this lesson, I was actually sitting in a hammock, like at 10,000 feet in Colorado, and we had just driven up and seen these moose. And they were just these big, massive, beautiful, majestic, crazy, giant things, right? And they just look at our car and they put their head back down and start eating again. It's like nothing to them was phasing them. And I immediately started thinking, because I was in the Ecclesiastes kind of frame of mind, you know, but I immediately started thinking like how many of their ancestors have done that? You know, they did that to me in my car. They did that to somebody else's car 20 years before. They did that to a wagon train a few years. You know, it's like they, this is cyclical. This is nature. I think about how um, only God creates new. You realize that, right? That if, if, if something feels new, it's really kind of probably just some sort of a retread. It's probably something that we think is creative, but actually, it's just repetitive. Let me give you an example. Okay, I'm gonna say two words. You're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. Ready? 80s fashion. Anyone? <laughs> I have a 20 year old daughter a few years ago, she starts bopping around my house with a scrunchie. Anyone? She's like, look at these are so cool. Like they hold your ponytail up, but like you don't get, you know, you you don't get the creases and everything. I'm like, I invented scrunchies, people. Like my people invented them, but isn't it true? You know, don't you, I know we all say that no matter when you grew up, you think that your fashion and the stuff that you experienced was the first time. It was not, it was just a retread maybe changed a little bit, maybe a little creative, but never new. I think about only God creating something new. I I saw this quote by by this theologian at Chicago's Moody Church, he said this. He said, if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. (laughs) If it's new, it's not true, if it's new, it's not true, if it's true, it's not new. My friend Rebecca Carroll, she always says this to me when I was talking to her one time, I was like, man, I'm so nervous, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a technical writer by trade, like that's where I started my life. And I'm so scared about plagiarizing. I'm always like hypersensitive to quoting people and making sure I document things. And I told her one time, I'm like, I'm about to speak and I'm about to say this thing and this quote and I don't remember where it came from. And she goes, hey Chris, all truth is God's truth. I'm like, okay, I'll quote you on that. <laughs> but you know, it's true. It's like even the ideas, even books we read, nothing is new. God creates new. We retread. Psalm 51.10 says this, that God creates in us a clean heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that everyone in Christ is a new creation. Romans 6.4 says we get to walk in the newness of life when we receive him. Revelation 21, five says, behold, I make all things new. So don't miss that, you know? Nothing is new under the sun, but God creates new all the time. Well, verse 11, he goes on as the historian, and he says this. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, I, I hear this, and you know, what, you know what it means to me? It means this that we don't read the meeting minutes from the previous meeting. (laughs) You ever had that happen? You ever ever been experiencing like where you're in a meeting and and you know that you were in the meeting before and all this stuff was talked about and somebody brings up this new point and they're like, yeah, and they launch into it and you're like, hey bud, we totally solved that problem and talked about that in the last meeting. He didn't read the meeting minutes. (laughs) And that's what Solomon is telling us. He's saying that we are so bad at remembering. We are so bad. We're bad at remembering, we're bad at receiving, we're bad at listening. I experienced that, like I, I think in this time of my life, I'm parenting adult people. That is weird. I thought we were done at 18, I thought I just checked the box and I was finished. No sir, no sir. <laughs> but here's what's crazy, is like I get to talk about experiences with them that they're starting to step into, right? and I get to share with them, hey man, I I have been where you are, I had a scrunchie and I wore acid wash, I know, those things. Learn from what I learned. And you know what, they're just like us. Sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't, they learn the hard way. But the point is, is that we, we can learn, but Solomon is saying basically, we choose not to. We choose to live this life where we're looking for all of our purpose to be on all these circumstances. Like that's where we find everything. We mistake novelty, meaning retreading things, for originality. Solomon didn't do that. Solomon knew that nothing could be created new apart from God. And so he's laying out the foundation for what we need to understand about our hope. Well, in verses 12 through 18, he goes into this section about nothing is understood. Nothing is understood. And in this part, um, He's really kind of turning into a philosopher. He's been a scientist, he's been a historian, and now he's going philosophy. So this is where it gets really muddy for my brain. I had to read it a bunch of times, but hopefully we can walk through it together. Verse 12, he starts with this. He goes back to to speaking about himself as being the preacher. I, the preacher, have been the king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven And it is an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. So let's pause right there. So he starts out saying, I'm the king. I've done every possible thing. I've had every possible resource. God gave me all the wisdom in the whole wide world. And I have come to the conclusion that none of it matters. And then verse 13, he says this, I applied my heart. Did you see that phrase over and over? I think we talked about it a little bit in the homework. Um, my, what I found when I, when I did a little investigating is it applied my heart. The word heart there, it really kind of equates to his mind, will, and emotions. It's kind of like all-encompassing thing. It's not just a feel. It's a feel and a think um, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a choice kind of thing. And so what he's basically saying, in NASB is one of the Bible versions that said, he set, set my mind to seek. In the King James Version, it says, I gave my heart to search. And so what he's trying to say is that basically, I've taken on this grievous task, and I've acknowledged that it's still a gift from God, okay? He acknowledges that his wisdom is a gift from God, and that's what he's using to fully apply himself to try to figure this stuff out. But then he comes to this conclusion in verse 15. He says, or excuse me, verse 14. Let me start there. He says, that I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. That's where he's come to the conclusion that really all the things that I have, all these God-given gifts that I have aren't doing me much good apart from God. And so verse 15, he says this, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. To me, that felt like a really hard fact to swallow. I started thinking about this. I started thinking like, there's so many crooked parts of life, right? That not every crooked part gets straightened. Can God? Can he? Yeah, he's God. He can do all kinds of cool stuff. Does he? No, not always. And this is where faith comes in, right? This is where we say, if he chooses to let things stay broken, if he chooses to let things remain tangled, if he chooses to never straighten things out, then there's got to be something beyond this life that has purpose. I think about, like, I was, I was driving down the road yesterday and I am not gonna lie, I have had, I have had, I'm not, I'm not unique, Remember, circles, cycles, everybody has it. I have a massive handful of difficult things happening concurrently in my world right now. I, I'm sure you do too. I would never compare my story to yours, but I will tell you this, I'm driving down the road and immediately I'm like, huh, this is, this is crazy. Within the, within the span of like, of, of like eight minutes, I get a text of, of great joy of a friend that's gonna have a baby tomorrow and that has got scheduled and that's exciting, right? I get a text about a new cancer diagnosis and then I get a picture of some of my favorite babies that made me so happy and then I um, get a message about a marriage ending and then I'm on my way honestly to an appointment with an oncologist where he's turning over care to hospice. It's just like it blows my mind that in the course of like these eight minutes all these different things you know thought about our lesson, I thought sometimes lives get wrecked by a diagnosis, that sometimes death comes too soon, sometimes losses are overwhelming, sometimes fear is paralyzing, sometimes betrayal and abandonment just wrecks us, sometimes our very worst fears are realized, and sometimes pain cannot be explained or rationalized. It can't. And I thought of this part, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. You see, what Solomon wants us to understand is if this is the end of the book, this is a terrible book, (laughs) right? He's bringing us to a point of understanding that you do not have the power to straighten the crooked. Only God does. So when you look at life only, through the the lens of what life is under the sun in chapter one, everything can seem meaningless, right? I mean, take yourself out of your faith for a minute. It can seem meaningless. Think about the friends, the neighbors, the people next door to you, the people standing next to line at Starbucks, the people at Target in line next to you that have no faith and no hope. This This is their lives, this is what they live by that's why I had to take us to chapter 12 because we can't shut the book here, right? We can't. And so turn with me to chapter 12. We're gonna read the end of the story and get a little encouragement. And remember, as we go through this book with with Solomon that that he's got, this chapter 12 is coming. He's got hope to share, but I didn't want us to leave today without it. And so let's take a look at the very end of our book in chapter 12, verses eight through 14. I hope you had some time this week to take a look at these. Interestingly, the book ends where it begins, okay? In chapter eight, he says this, vanity of vanity says the preacher, all is vanity. Have you heard that before? A couple minutes ago? But then he moves into verse nine and he says this, he shifts back. Notice this, I mentioned this in our first lesson, that this idea of the preacher, the teacher is is really kind of a third person Thing, but it's really him talking about himself. He's still speaking of himself and his own experiences. He's just, I, I heard it read, I mean, I read it one time that, that um, it was almost like it gives him license to, to brag on God with, with still maintaining humility. Sounds, sounds interesting, right? Like to speak in the third person. But anyway, that's where he's, he's going. So in verse nine, he says this, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Remember, he's speaking of himself here. He's speaking with, with past tense verbs. So he's, we believe that he's looking back at his life. And that whole thing in chapter one that you read about that seemed really... Um, sad and hopeless, like, oh gosh, this is, this is deep. Well, all the rest of the chapters, he's going to take us deeper, a deeper dive into all those things. He's going to explain to us where he tried to find meaning, where he tried to find pleasure, where he tried to seek meaning through wisdom and things. Well, at the end, he's looking back and he said... Um, that these are the words of the wise. He's shifting back, he's weighing, studying, and arranging with great care. And in chapter, I mean, excuse me, verse 11, this is where it gets really interesting. He says these words, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by the one shepherd. I love that section, I love that verse. Like to me, that that is it for me and here's why. That he's saying these words of the wise, he's speaking in this moment of his words that were inspired by God. Remember we talked about how he wrote thousands of songs and proverbs and he wrote a couple of psalms. We have a couple of his songs recorded in psalms. We've got all the proverbs, we got Song of Solomon, we've got all of Ecclesiastes. So he's got all these inspired words. And so when he says words of the wise, that's what he's talking about. But what we, on this side of history, can look back and say words of the wise is our Bible, our inspired word of God. And so he says that those inspired words are like goads and nails, two words that um, were kind of interesting when you look at the history, goads. Goads are actually, that's kind of a synonymous word with rod. You know, if you, you've probably heard Psalm 23, right? You know, where it talks about how the shepherd, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. You've heard that before? And so the staff is like that thing like you see in your nativity scenes, you know where the shepherd has the big crook thing? That's a staff. But the rod is something he keeps on his belt. That's a goad, a rod. And what it is, it's like this this sharp, spiky thing. It has like nails sticking out of it. Yeah, it's cool, right? And it's on his belt. And he keeps it on his belt and he uses it when he needs to drive the sheep or the herd back. Okay, so when you think about that shepherd's staff, it's like a six foot long thing to protect from wolves and, and things like that. But the rod, the goad, that's to drive them back, that's to push them back. I think about, um, when you think about a herd, you think about the fact that they need to be pushed and prodded back to a place to stay on the right path, and a lot of times it's a place that they don't wanna go, or they don't know that they need to go, right? And so you know what the word picture is here, you know what he's trying to illustrate to us, right? That the inspired word of God can push us and prod us and challenge us, and sometimes make us super uncomfortable, to get us back on the right path. Paul in Acts 26, um, he comes later on, you know, and when he speaks of his story of conversion, where God converted him, this man, just like a magnificent story. You need to go read it. Acts 26, but this is what he says. God says, hey, Paul, you're pushing against the goads. And he would have known what that means. That means I am pressing back against what God is making happen. We do it all the time, don't we? And so Solomon is reminding us here that the words of the wise, the inspired word of God, those words push us and prod us and challenge us. Do you know what the other thing they do? The other thing they do is they secure us. He mentions nails, okay? Now, I want you to remember something. When you, when you think about these well-secured nails, what does he call them? He calls them the um, firmly fixed nails. Think about this. Back in the Old Testament, um, in Zechariah chapter 10 or something, we, we learn about tent pegs you know, because they're not living like we live, right? So pegs and nails, those are important things. They secure stuff. Like they hold down their homes, essentially. And then we know in the New Testament that nails slash pegs are used to hold our Savior on the cross, right? To secure him there, to keep him there. And so nails in this incident, in this little word picture, are to show us that God's word, the words of the wise inspired by God, are to secure and to hold us. And so they goad us, they prod us, but they secure us and they hold us. And then he says that they're given by one shepherd. In verse 12, he goes on to say, My son, remember, we think that Solomon is writing this to the younger generation. He could have literally been writing it to a son, but we don't know that for sure. But that's why he starts with that. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. You see, what he's trying to say is, hey, I know, I've experienced, kinda like I told you, I talk to my kids all the time. Can you just trust me on this? Scrunchies will come back. Just trust me on this truth, right? But he's saying to them, look, I have all the wisdom in all the world and I've written all the songs and I've learned all the things, all of it. And there's so many voices that are gonna try to undo what God wants you to understand. They're gonna try to mislead us. They're gonna try to shortcut. They're gonna try to lie to us. Don't let man's books rob you of God's wisdom. That's what Solomon's saying. We do that. We do that sometimes. I do that. We do that sometimes because what we do is we, instead of reading God's word and letting um, man's books and podcasts and Instagram and Facebook and all the things go through the lens of God's word, God's truth, we instead go there first and look at God's word through the lens of all these other things. And that's what Solomon's warning these younger generations against, us. He's warning us. He's saying, don't test God's truth by man's books. Test men's books by God's truth we need to listen. Well, in verses 13 and 14, he goes on to wrap up the book of Ecclesiastes. You better come back though. You're not done. We're just skipping to the end. We're going back. So y'all come back. Um, Verse 13 goes like this. In the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil, in the end of the matter. In other words, this is the purpose of life. This is it, this one little section. Two things given by the shepherd, fear God and do what he says. Why do we make it so hard? I make it so hard, right? I think it's because I get focused on that list of things I told you about. I get, I get focused on all the things that were flooding my mind and my text line when I was driving over to the hospice visit. I get focused on those things instead of the one. Shepherd, the one thing. He says, fear God, know this, that when he says fear God, he's not saying be afraid of God. Instead, what he's doing is he's saying, I love this, Oswald Chambers said it this way. When you think of that that phrase, fear God, think of it like this. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. What do we fear? Fearing God is to know that He is God and you are not. I needed to hear that today. The control that we don't have in chapter 1 is true. We don't. We don't have control of that, but God does, and He is trustworthy. And so we can fear Him. You know, Ecclesiastes ends how Proverbs begins. Did you know that? In the beginning of Proverbs, which He also wrote mostly, Chapter one, verse seven starts out like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, he ends this one the way he begins the other one. The other thing he says is do what God says. The only way to do this is to seek after God. You see, it's kind of this logical progression. If you fear God, if you put him above everything else, it becomes logical to do what he says. I don't know about you, and I, and I, I trust me, I got a lot to learn and I make a lot of mistakes, but there is something in me that just wants to do what God says. I just want to. I don't always, but I want to. Fearing God results in obedient living. It, it is a fact. Well, I would add this. I would add a third. You know, in your homework, I said it's those two things, fear God and do what he says. I would add a third, which he says here. I would say prepare for final judgment. That sounds a little dark on a Wednesday morning after you've had one cup of coffee. <laughs> But it's a fact. I mean, Solomon tells us, you need to prepare for what's coming. You know, six times in Ecclesiastes, you're gonna see Solomon say things like this, enjoy this life. But he never says, enjoy sin. He does not say that. You see, the joy of the present depends on the security of the future. And so if we're looking at the future and saying we're preparing for final judgment, where's our security in the future? What are we secure in? Jesus alone is the only way you can be secure in the future. Can you face the future? I think about Solomon, and I mentioned before, and I I believe this with everything in my heart and soul, is that every word of, of, of this Bible points to the coming of Jesus Christ. We get to be on this side of history. We know he's come, and he's coming again. And he's the hope for chapter one. Look, I asked you at the beginning, if life is only part of this great cycle and we don't have any control, what's the purpose? And Solomon tells us at the end of chapter 12, the purpose is God. I'm gonna read some things to you before we close. I just, I had this whole other thing I was gonna do to close. I'm sure it involved puppies, but I just, I canned it. (laughs) I'll I'll keep y'all posted, by the way. Um, I just felt like we needed to hear we need to hear what God's word says about what our purpose is, what his purpose is for us today. I don't know if you're like me and you probably have a laundry list of texts and things coming through that are, that are scary, intermingled with joy, but also shadowy and scary. And so I want you to hear these and I, I, th- I, I just want you to hear these words over your life today um, and just think about the hope and where you are finding the hope. Matthew six thirty three says this. seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10 says this, we are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed through our body. Galatians 4, 7, so you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Second Corinthians 12, 10 says this, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says this, not in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is hope. Don't put your hope in chapter one. Put your hope in this. That song, I'm gonna close. I, I'm not gonna sing it because that would be terrible to do to you, but... Um, The end of that song I mentioned before, Circles, the end of it just blew my mind. As I was pulling in the parking lot, you might've seen me, I sat in my car and I'm like, wow, God, you are so cool. The end of that song goes like this. He's a God of the circles. He's a God of the ups and downs. Ain't nothing new under the sun. Ain't nothing new to the sun. He's a God in the trials. He's a God in the meltdowns. Ain't nothing new under the sun. Ain't nothing new to our sun. We all go through circles, we can't escape the circles. We all go through circles, round and round we go. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for chapter one because Lord chapter one reminds us that, um, that you are coming, that you are coming later and we stand on this side of history, we know you came. And so we can have hope, we can read chapter one and go, yeah, but. Just hold on. And so Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room who is living a chapter one life where all they do is rely on um, the science, the history, the philosophy, and they're constantly seeking to look and find meaning in life apart from you, that Lord, that they realize today is the day that they need to focus on you. So thank you so much that you love us enough to send us this word. Um, And thank you that you love us enough that you desperately want us to find that purpose. And it's in your precious son Jesus' name that I pray, amen.